Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. To a Celtic state of mind, it's Friday afternoon, and this is a new lineup. Will we see a new lineup on Sunday? Who knows? We'll talk all about it. I'm Paul John Dykes. Today, I'm joined by Lloyd, Patrick Jepson, and all the way from Australia, Jared Hill. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, not bad. <clears throat> you haven't Paul. met each other. You haven't met each other. This is the first time. It's a new striking partnership. I'll supply the Leons and the incisive passes through the back lines. You guys can do the damage up top. And we're asking, obviously, uh, after the international break, um, you know, who starts as Celtic get back on the trail? I was just checking uh, to see if Ange had uh, done his Friday presser. We're not there today. Sometimes we get invited, but it's on a rotor system, so we're not there today. Uh, it will be interesting. Everything hinges on who's fit, I guess. But we will be talking about that. You two have not had the opportunity on Axom to discuss the situation with Rangers and um, the latest incident regarding them. We had an interesting discussion yesterday all around um, some of the players who have scarcely featured but who might play a big part in the treble running um, and everything else that comes Celtic-related. But before we get started, uh, I'm still talking about Saturday night because you were there, Lloyd. Um, was. And by the way, I'm going to shout it for the rooftops about Peter Grant because he is an ultimate Celtic man. Um, how did you enjoy it at Gracie's on Saturday last week? Oh, loved it. It was generally couldn't tell him how great a night it was. It really was just listening to Peter talking about his time at Celtic, mm. even his coaching time down south. It, it just it had the room in his palm of his hand. And, you know, the thing with that as well, how much time he spent with all the fans, Lloyd, you know, nothing was too much hassle. He's signing stuff, he's getting his photo taken. One thing that I really found interesting, Jared, was obviously he's come to Celtic um, along with Tony Mowbray and he gave me a good insight. I can't remember how much of this was said on stage and how much was um, backstage, but it gave me a good insight into how players were being recruited at that time. Let's just say, Jared, it wasn't ideal and you compare that to where we are now, where Ange has full control of the operation, and it's night and day, by the way. I mean, obviously, the story goes that we were interested in Olivier Giroud, and he would have signed for us, and he didn't, and he wrote about it in his autobiography. Well, that player was identified by Peter Grant. The club didn't get it over the line, Jared. Um, how grateful are we that we've got Ange in full control of these kind of matters? Uh, it's great. It's something we were talking about on our podcast on Wednesday night about the old, um, even two years ago, it was a similar sort of situation to you saying there, Paul, with like 
Lenny in and his list that had all those players' names on it and that sort of stuff. So to go from that to what we've got now, where we're bringing in, you got Mark Lawwell's come in, you brought in Joe Dudgeon, you brought in this new scout as well, was it Hamill or something like that during the week? Yeah, yeah. It's good to say not just are we building a team on the pitch, but we're building something long-term sustainable off the field, which is going to help us in the future. Yeah. So it gets to the point where, um, you know, players are presented to clubs all the time. And it's, I mean, this isn't a, a new phenomenon. And I think that what was happening previously is there were preferred sources, if you like, of players. And, and you know, there was relationships. And you get that. You understand that, you know, in any business, there, there are relationships between businesses. And uh, that, I think, is where we got stung time and time again, because a lot of the players we were bringing in simply were not good enough. I remember... Um, the signing of Pierre Van Hoydonk and you know at the time because things weren't covered um, as much as they are now uh, you know on a daily basis and virtually every single moment of the day you could probably find somebody somewhere online talking about matters at Celtic Football Club but we signed Van Hoydonk and I remember going through to the game that night uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the, the comments I'm sure it was a November night yeah, it's funny how your, your mind does uh, plays tricks on you, though, but it was certainly a cold evening, a midweek game, and we've just signed Van Hoydonk, and we're playing Hearts at Hamden Park. How do you find out what type of player he is? Well, you couldn't, because there was no access to the internet. So, you know, unless you had a, a Dutch correspondent on the end of your phone, you didn't really know who you were getting. And um, we turned up that night, and we drew one each with Hearts, but Van Hoydonk scored a tremendous goal uh, where he kind of flicks it over a player. Great finish from about 18 yards. Um, and at that time, Celtic were being uh, heralded as, as uh, having a great kind of uh, scouting network all over Europe, finding players, Lloyd, right? And you believe it because, it, you know, mm-hmm. if that's what's written in the Celtic view at the time, you believed it, right? There was very few other sources, and the mainstream was talking about it. Many, many years later, I'm reading a Kevin Keegan autobiography because I read a lot of football books, and he was talking about the fact that that video of Van Hoydonk was sent to every top-tier club in English football. And it's obviously been sent to Celtic and Rangers as well at the time. And Celtic signed the boy. You know, so back then, we just didn't have that network. We didn't have the infrastructure in place. So as Jared's saying there, I just think slowly but surely, Lloyd, you can see that Ange is putting all the, the parts of the puzzle together so that we've got a system in place where we're going always going to have options. You know, if we need a left back, there's your options. You need a centre forward, there's your options. And it's refreshing because I think sometimes you're surprised as a Celtic fan that that hasn't been in place previously. Yeah, you kind of are. Um, even like today, I was watching the podcast with Graham Hunter and Harry Kuehl, which was quite interesting, how Harry Kuehl was talking about Ange and how he, it only took him two days to kind of understand his methods and that. And yeah. you just yeah. Things like that, they're built over time and obviously... With the new scout system coming in, that's Angie's people that he wants, that he's went to the board and said, listen, I want these guys in. And you look at the market we're looking in now, South Korea, Japan, Australia, Angie knows all these types of players mm-hmm. and he knows the best kind of talent to get. Yeah. I've been um, reading this week, Jared, about how we are... Um, the words probably exploring rather than manipulating or exploiting, exploring um, the uh, youth, if you like, in, in Japan by doing soccer schools over there. Is that something, have you heard any rumours that uh, we might be doing something similar over in Australia? Been doing that down here for at least the last three or four years pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like an academy sort of thing in the school holidays where some coaches come over from the academy. They do like a week-long camp. And one or two of them get the opportunity off the back of that to go over to Glasgow and spend a week there and train with the academies at their age group and then go from there. So that's um, – I think that's actually how we may have picked up Jackson Irvin back in the day. That may have mm. had something to do with it as well, going back that far. But, yeah, we've got – um, yeah, there's been that going on for a while there. But something that uh, Lloyd said as well, though, was where he was saying about like – Andrew saying get these guys in and where we're talking about we're going to Japan and we're going to Korea and we're going to Australia, eventually Andrew's institutional knowledge of those markets is going to drop off a bit because he's been out of that area for a while. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes sense that strike while the iron's hot and he's got all that knowledge of Japan that's fresh in his mind and then get the guys from Korea and Australia that he knows in, mm-hmm. but then also build this for future seasons as well so that, you know, once that – 
there may only be another 12 months of that until that's pretty much that tap's turned off. And then we've got these guys in place who are identifying players and scouting them and bringing them through. So it kind of makes sense to be forward planning. Oh, definitely, definitely. You mentioned Jackson Oven there. Jared, he is a dude. He is an absolute dude, isn't he? I mean, um, is he something of a favourite uh, for the, the Socceroos fans? Uh, yeah, he captained us for the, the first time during the week, on um, earlier this week. So it's good to see that happen. But yeah, he's a bit of a cult hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the thing, right? I mean, there are certain players in Celtic's history that you think to yourself, the the absolute perfect club for them would be St. Pauli, right? And I'm thinking the guys like Paddy McCourt, you would have just loved to have seen Paddy McCourt, you know, going and signing for St. Pauli and scoring an incredible solo effort every couple of weeks. And Jackson Oven goes and does it. Is he the first? I think he's the first player that's played for Celtic and St. Pauli, and you know, I might be wrong there, but I think he might be. Um, and they're, of course, they're coming over to Scotland. They're playing a friendly with Dunfermline Athletic, believe it or not, at East End Park. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be loads of Celtic fans in the away end uh, to say St. Pauli. I, it never, I, you know, I've never understood why Celtic have never had them over to play a friendly at Celtic Park. Um, sometimes bounce games pre-season are kind of meaningless fixtures against clubs we don't really have a friendship or an association with. If we brought St. Pauli over, it would sell out, you know. Um, and by the way, before we, we move on to who's going to be playing on Sunday, a very important message. It's something that we have spoken about previously on the show. I'm going to bring up this picture. It might uh, obscure your face for a wee bit, Jared. And this is uh, a missing person. And obviously, with the advent of social media, you do have some great uses for it. And one of the those uses is when someone goes missing. And indeed, um, Evan Reed, 31 years of age, you will, I'm sure, have seen a lot of the appeals online. Um, he is still missing as far as this show goes at 12.30. The update was he's still missing. Um, and police are seeking information to try and find Evan ASAP. People are understandably extremely worried about him. Last seen on the 25th of March now, and we're on the 31st. All the details are on there. If you've got any info whatsoever, contact 101 with the incident number 4112 of the 25th of March this year. And hopefully, but you've got to keep hope, you hope that he does turn up safe and well um, and we will keep sharing that until such times as there's an update on Evan's whereabouts as well let's talk about Sunday then we're back from the international break before we do it Lloyd how did you enjoy your international break what was the highlights for you are you a big Scotland fan did you enjoy the Spain game I did enjoy watching the Spain game um, Cyprus game was a bit naff but boring kind of thing but no really for the full 90 minutes I enjoyed Watching that Scotland Spain game, even including Carl McGregor's performance in it, I thought it was phenomenal. Breaking up play at all times, always getting on the loose ball, and that run in the 95th minute was just that's Carl McGregor over the back for me. It was superb. What I like about him is, um, and we've seen it a wee bit, I mean, people might point to the uh, the um, coming together between him and Barisic and the mm-hmm. Derby games, etc. There, there is an edge to Callum now that I'm not sure. Does it come with experience? I think maybe Scott Brown always had it, but there seems to be a bit of an edge to him now, Jared, and I like that. I like it domestically. We've seen a wee bit of that against Spain as well. Sometimes you've just got to get um, that combative nature uh, in about you, and I think Callum's got it in abundance. Yeah, he's um, definitely, his leadership is a lot more pronounced than I thought it would be. Like when he first got made captain, I was like, okay, you've gone from, you know, the fire and brimstone of Bruni to, you know, Kelmack looks like you'd be the nice guy to put an arm around you and, you know, have, you know, tell you how great you are sort of thing. And to see him in the huddle pregame where he's getting more animated, telling guys what's expected and setting the, the tempo and then going to Scotland, grabbing a game by the scruff of the neck with that run in the 96th minute. Yeah, it's just, um, it's great to see the evolution of him. And he's come out of that that game. And you can't say that, oh, just because he plays in Scotland, he wouldn't be able to cut it in the, down in the EPL or he's not he's not that class. Like, you can see the standard that he's playing at and what he's doing. He's definitely, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it in probably cop Pelters, but to me he's world class. I wouldn't trade him for any player in the world. No, this is the thing, right? We, we were talking, I think it was on Wednesday, Jared, um, about the irreplaceable, you know, the irreplaceable member of the Celtic side. As some people are thinking, Carter Vickers, I get all that, but 
Callum McGregor is an irreplaceable part of the Celtic team. And as Jared was saying there, Lloyd, right, you look at the midfield that he's playing with, McTominay, McGinn, you look at some of the players around about him, Hickey, Robertson, these guys are playing Premiership football. There's no doubt in my mind, and by the way, I'm not trying to shift any of our players, there's no doubt that I think he could play at that level. Obviously, um, of the firm belief that Callum McGregor will play his entire career at Celtic, he, you know, he's a captain of the club. He's, he has grown uh, immeasurably since Angie's come in. I felt there was a time I was a bit worried about his Celtic career, and it wasn't necessarily when Rodgers was in charge because there was a, a bit of a fear when Rodgers was in charge that he might give a different, uh, he might instill a different mentality into some of the players because Rodgers is a go-getter, right? Some people mm-hmm. might describe him as something else, Lloyd, right? But I think that he was a major influence on the thought process, on the state of mind of the likes of Kieran Tierney. I, I actually felt Tierney would never have left Celtic, Right. I mean, if there was ever one player you thought was going to spend their career at Parkhead, it was Kieran Tierney. Um, but I, I actually feel, and maybe this will come out later on, probably will, that his head was turned. And I think there was an influence there in Brendan Rodgers. But we didn't see that with Callum McGregor. My biggest concern was under Neil Lennon, where he was coming out, he was he was cutting a frustrated figure. He was talking in the post-matches about not knowing the game plan. And I was a bit concerned about him then. And she, uh, Poster Coglu comes in, gives the boy the captaincy, and he, I think he's in the form of his life, Lloyd. Yeah, he definitely is. Like you said, under Rodgers, he kind of had that newly alive kind of thing under him. Um, then under Lennon, it, he did come out after games saying he didn't know the game plan, which was quite worrying for any player to say, but you look back at that season, that was just a one-off. And you look at Callum now, and he's just, he's went another level. It really has. I... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I know everybody says about Hitati and Taylor maybe player of the year, but mm. Callum is definitely within a shout. Yeah, you're right. I'm just surprised they didn't try and sell the old face masks branded up. <laughs> um, have your Sambas arrived, by the way, Lloyd? They have arrived, yes, after right. last week's conversation and saying that I wasn't getting them. I did order them right after the show, so thanks for that, Paul. <laughs> I wanted to ask because I wanted it committed to tape that you were saying, I'm not getting these gutties, and then obviously a week later you do have them. What's the story over in Australia, Jared? I'm guessing that there's horrendous waiting times, or um, is there any way you can get your hands on a pair? I was out on the weekend, just gone, and was just at the, at the big shopping centre in town with my, with my wife, and we're just walking along, and I thought, Oh, I just said to her, I'll go into JD for a laugh. I bet there's no chance they'll have them. Sure enough, I'll walk in straight away, get past the set, and there they are, sitting on the shelf there. Super. So I was like, okay. Andy picked them up, didn't have my size. I had like the next three sizes down, and I'm just like, yeah, $180 Australian for a pair of shoes that I'm barely going to wear. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> you might be one of these sneaker freakers who buy them, keep them in the box, and every so often just open them up and get that new trainer smell. You know, get out room for that, Paul. See this, that... this thing behind me here? Behind there's a big pile of just crap just piled up there because I've got no storage. That's all the work stuff. I absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, if you ever come to the studio and there's a, there's a couple of visitors coming ne- next week, you will see the amount of stuff, just like you said, they're out the front that you never actually see when I'm sitting here. Let's get some of the comments in from the viewers. It's always great to get you involved. David Darcy, good afternoon, boys from Blackpool. Been a wait, but going to be worth it watching the Mighty Hoops take a step closer to the treble. And just while I'm bringing some of these in, I'm going to nip into the show actually and change it to subscriber only uh, for obvious reasons reasons because sometimes you get some lurkers I don't know what they're doing with their Friday afternoons but they like to come on a Celtic podcast and just uh, abuse us there was a wee bit of um, interest and abuse going on on earlier on today but uh, we'll get that changed to subscriber uh, only as well but uh, loads of comments coming in and we've got uh, Claths1978 who says Hart, Johnson, Carter, Vickers, Starfelt, Burnaby, Kalmak, Awata, Hatate, O'Reilly, 
Haksa, Banovic, Kyogo, and Jota. Now, this is an interesting lineup because yesterday we spoke around some of the players who are undoubtedly going to be more involved than they have been so far. Some of the game time on the likes of um, Kobayashi and Awata might actually be quite surprising. And, oh, in actual fact, Taksibanovic has a wee bit more time and he's been very impactful when you look at the fact that he's played a total of 11 and a half games. If you add all the minutes together, scoring five and making four goals. Um, what do you make of this kind of lineup? Is that what you would maybe class experimental? There's a few changes in there, Lloyd. There is a few changes in there, but I think that might be the kind of lineup that we go for. Obviously, as fans, we're wanting certain players wrapped up for the game next week, but at this moment in time, just look at the game coming up on Sunday and then let next week take care of itself kind of thing. But I've been looking at the previous lineups for all the Ross County games, and there's one player that started every game against Ross County this season, and that's actually David Turnbull, which is quite surprising. Interesting. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him come into the team on Sunday. There are certain players that um, they seem to perform either at venues or against certain teams. So that that's very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. I was looking at a stat that Paddy came away with um, earlier on today, which uh, stated that you know people go on about Dingwall being a tricky tricky ground to go to, but. Um, we have actually played them 16 times up there, winning 11, drawing three and losing only two. Uh, so the stats tell you otherwise, but there is a perception, Jared, that it's a tough game. Um, would you go for someone like Turnbull or Awata in the midfield? Jared, what's your thoughts there? Um, if he's fit, I'd be putting Awata in and putting Kelmack further forward and not playing Hatada if he's still not 100% off his injury. You'd rather give him that extra week to uh, rest that up and be good, good to go for the derby. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, um, you know, Ange has come out and spoken about rest. You'll get a rest at pre-season kind of thing, right? Um, he doesn't rest players. I think that was his exact quote, I don't rest players. And they get a rest in between games and they get a rest at pre-season. Uh, it's like, no, no problem, Ange. But going into a game like this with Rangers on the horizon, Lloyd, you know, Burnaby in for Taylor. Ralston, I don't know how fit he is, perhaps coming in. Do you bring in Kobayashi? Can you see that kind of level of change being made by Ange Postacoglin? I can kind of see it, just because uh, this is now the run-in to the, the end of the season now, and games are coming thick and fast. We, especially if you get the game against Rangers coming up in the league, and then three weeks later you've got the semi-final coming up. So maybe yeah. there will be a few dropping changing. And obviously, it's nice to get certain players league winners medals, but I know Ange doesn't think that way regarding that. But you look at O, O's not really started many games since he's come in, but he's mm -hmm. still in that settling in period. So maybe these type of games would be perfect for him as well, just to give Kyogo that little bit of rest. I found it interesting that he came on and replaced Cho. Obviously, we ran a couple of shows um, during the summer where it looked likely that Cho would be a new arrival but obviously we've gone out and got O uh, like everybody else Jared I've seen the the um, content of his disallowed goal which was an absolutely cracking finish it was great and he was doing his thing after it and unfortunately it was chopped off do you see O maybe and again I don't know if this is just perception. You know, you think it's a tough game up there. You might need someone who's a wee bit more physical uh, than Kyogo. And by the way, I think Kyogo can look after himself, but O certainly is a more physical player. Can you see him getting a start, particularly after a couple of decent performances on international duty, Jared? Don't really think Angel's starting, just for the simple fact that he's travelled to the other side of the world. He's then come back and then has to travel up to Dingwall. And then you've got Kyogo, who's been in Glasgow the whole time, is in career best form that we've seen at the club and he's you know hasn't had the travel and everything and makes more sense just keep keep your, your front three especially with if you know you're going to have a change in the midfield try and keep some consistency across the front three with Jota with Kyogo and then who's the other winger going to be is it going to be Haxabanovic is it going to be Maeda but at least if two of them are consistent then it's not as much mucking around like I think oh in that situation will be the way it tends to be against Ross County up there is we either have a real close one, like close game, or we just blow them out with a mass and just pump them. So either option, I'd still love to have O come on the bench, come off the bench and do something. But yeah, I'd start Kyogo. Yeah, I mean, a, a pumping on Sunday would be absolutely lovely, Jared, to be fair. 4 nothing would be delightful up there, sets up nicely. Um, yesterday we spoke about, it was uh, Kobayashi, Iwata O and Haksabanovic. The fact that they haven't really 
played much games uh, combined. You know, O has played two and a half games, scored three goals. Haksabanovic, 11 and a half, scoring five and setting up four. Awata, 124 minutes. And Kobayashi, just two and a half games uh, of combined minutes. Which of the four do you think, Lloyd, will play the biggest part between now and the end of the season? I would like to say Awata, for what I've seen of him. But mainly I think it'll be O. He's kind of that impact player that Andrew brings off to the bench just mm. to change the game style up a little bit. So I would like Awata, but I would probably be O. Oh, I mean, yeah, it, it seems kind of obvious because in terms of an impact, although Haksabanovic has been a very impactful substitute, um, I would like to see him maybe getting a few um, more games under his belt. Uh, Jared, of the four, which player do you think may make the biggest influence? Yeah, I agree to be O. The thing with Awada and Kobayashi in particular is they're in the same situation that Maeda and Hatade were this time last year where they've just come off a full season in Japan. So you basically got to get them through to the end of the season and then get them that break and get them fresh ready to go for the full 12 months with us. So by the end of the season, we've been playing for 18 months straight. So if they're hit and miss with their playing time at the moment, that's probably the best way to manage them through so we've got them ready to go embedded into the team and ready to go for Europe next year. But, yeah, O will probably be the main one, especially with Jack and Marcus leaving. Yeah. He has to be ready to go and contribute. Uh, for, for for sure. Now, I was reading with interest, Haksabanovic's former club, uh, Norkoping, are still claiming £3.2 million from the original sale of Haksabanovic to Ruben Kazan. Uh, and I find it interesting that the, the fee was five and a half million quid, 12 months before we signed them. So you remember how big the Jota and Carter Vickers signings were, six million and six million. This is another player who's in that price bracket, Jared, and we've got him. And as you say, we're trying to get him like, you know, acclimatised to the Scottish game and to the way that Celtic play. But I just think, and I've said this before, and I don't think it's going to turn into a Mikey Johnston kind of statement where we're always waiting for him to really kick on. I think there's so much more to, uh, to be offered by Haksabanovic. I think of the four, he's a guy that could become a real staple part of the side, like a star player, another winger who's doing things for us, like Jota, for example, Jared. I don't necessarily see him as just a winger either, like... Okay, Maeda can play as a striker, but he also, like he does for Japan, but he can be better in the, the Celtic system on the wing, which is great, right? But then the fact is Jota can play both left and right wing. Haksabanovic is a typical Ange sort of sign. He's multi-positional. He can play on the left wing. He likes to come in, in like cut inside, but put him in the number 10 as well. And I think like when we've seen him in there, he's looked dangerous. Like he, he gets into the top of the box and, doesn't mind a shot. So I actually reckon he could be an option for us in that position as well long term. Yeah. Who was it that was saying that they, they like the look of him as a number 10? I mean, is that something that you think could work for Haksabanovic, Jared? Yeah, I, I think it could work. Like, let's be honest, we we need that. For me, going into Europe next year, the two positions that need strengthening more than anything are we need a continental level 10 and we need we may need to upgrade the, the Joe Hart situation depending on what we're going to do long-term as a goalkeeper because he's only going to have one year left on his deal and what the plan is there. But Taksabanovic, can he be that continental number 10, a guy who plays in that role, and then we could still have the work-rate guys outside of him on the wings and Kyogo in front? In Europe, that could work. Like, we haven't really replaced Rogic since he left. Moy's come in, Moy can play that role a little bit as well, but he's more of an eight than a ten. So is it going to be Haksabanovic or are we going to have to go and sign someone, especially with Turnbull doesn't sign a new deal he has a year left in the off-season? We might have to sell him and put someone there anyway. Yeah, I mean, with regards to uh, David Turnbull, I, I find that he has divided opinion in the comment section. Um, and obviously, with regards to his future, he is getting to that point. Lloyd, David mm-hmm. Turnbull, where are you? On, on keeping that player because I've said time and time again you look at his age you look at the games that he's actually played uh, domestic games and, and I just think I would much rather keep him selfishly but it might, it might be difficult to keep him happy with the lack of game time that he's been enjoying since he came back from injury I think that's the worry with David Turnbull he's, he's not going to get the game time that he's really looking for especially under Angie's system 
because to me he's just he slows the pace down in that midfield whereas Ange likes the ball constantly moving you look at his deal as well as maybe the summer maybe the best time to sell him possibly unless he's going to get an extension I don't see him staying beyond the summer to be honest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think with Ange we know Maybe the word ruthless is a bit strong, but you know, he just takes action, doesn't he, Jared? You've seen it with Abilgar, you've seen it with Jens, uh, Yakamakis, Juranovic. If a player, if there's any issue whatsoever in relation to a player and not being 100% committed to what he's trying to build here, it he just moves them on. And to be honest with you, I, I welcome that. 100%. There's a good saying down here in Australia, but for language purposes, I can't say it. I'm not here to something spiders, and that's pretty much means you don't you need to muck around. Um, if Ange doesn't rate you or doesn't want you then, or doesn't think you can do the job, then he will move someone on, even if it's a club legend or someone. He's done it at Brisbane Raw. He's did it at South Melbourne. He did it at Melbourne Victory when he came in. He did it with the Socceroos. Like, funny story with that is when he came in the Socceroos, he kept one senior player in the defence, Lucas Neal, one in the midfield, and then one in the striker. So Mark Bresciano was the midfielder and the striker he kept was Tim Cale. Everyone else got gutted. All the older guys were let go, the ones that qualified for the World Cup. So if he's willing to do that going into a World Cup, it shows that he's he's got no favourites, particularly when those guys are going to that, – that group that he brought in at that World Cup went on to win the Asian Cup the following year. So there's a method to his madness. And, uh, yeah, if – Turnbull, who was one of the first names on the team sheet when Ange first come to the club, is slowing things down, isn't signing a contract or doesn't want to be there long term. Well, then what's um, what's Ange going to do? As he said before, he doesn't have want to sell the club on anyone. If you don't want to be here, see you later. Off you go and you bring someone else in, next man up. I love it. I actually love that that approach. And, I, and by the way, the signs were there with uh, Nir Beaton and, and Tommy Rogic as well. You know, the, the two guys who we were talking about were maybe 18 months to two years off, 10 years at the club. And um, the pair of them are gone. The, the experience that walked out, it was bold at the time. It was the right decision. It's proven to be the right decision, but it was bold. But it also goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Lloyd. Harry Kuehl gave that interview to uh, Graham Hunter. And uh, one of the, the parts of it, I've not watched it in full, actually, but one of the parts he was talking about was when Ange Postacoglu dropped him from the Australian squad, going back to what Jared said. But he'd done it in such a way where there was no fighting, there was no fallout. You've done it in a, a nice way. If there is a nice way to be dropped, and Kuehl obviously then comes back round, it comes full circle, it becomes part of the, the coaching staff. Um, and the way that he speaks about Ange and also the way that Alistair Johnson has been speaking about Celtic and our fan base shows that this culture thing that we keep banging on about here on Axon is being implemented and it is being built by, by Ange behind the scenes, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. You can tell the way any player talks about Ange and the way he's built the squad, the way he's built the club. It's it's not so much that they all love him, but they all respect the, the job that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even you see him getting linked now to every job possible that becomes available down in England, which I don't even think... Is in his thought, to be honest. He's just concentrating on what he's doing at Celtic. And that's basically the, the best thing for the club and him. We'll get used to that. I think we've already got used to that, haven't we? The speculation that we'll um, try and link Ange to any job that's available. It gives all the um, all the news sources their clicks, but that's about all it is. And, you know, I think you have a perception as a football fan, Jared, of a manager who is in about everything. And I don't mean to the micromanagement level, but you do see them on the sidelines. Managers who kick every single ball. They're they're balling and shouting for 90 minutes. It's probably the same on the training park. It's probably the same in the dressing room. But from what we've heard, you know, he's not like that. The relationship he has between himself and the players is completely different. Callum McGregor, for example, runs the dressing room. Um, I mean, from the outside looking in, you think that's quite unusual, but I was uh, doing a lot of research on Brian Clough recently, uh, for example, when I was speaking to Martin O'Neill. And, you know, he was very similar in that respect, Jared, in that he let his team do the business and he would come in and he might say a few words in the dressing room, but he wasn't omnipresent. And indeed, Martin O'Neill was very similar as well. Um, And it seems to be a style that works with with those three guys uh, that I've just mentioned, Jared. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Having spoken to players who have played under Ange in the past and stuff, and it's like, okay, I mentioned Bresciano before, who was a massive part of the Australian soccer's midfield for years. And I've, I've, through family, I've got a good, and work, I've got a tie in with him and everything. And I've spoken to him about Ange, and something he told me was that Ange doesn't say much in the, in the room pregame, he'll say a bit here and there. But he'll let his coaches do the coaching during the week and he'll sit back and just like man manage and just watch it. And then when things happen, if he needs to get involved, he will. If he doesn't, he'll let he'll let his other coaches do their job. He'll let his goalkeeping coaches deal with it. He'll let that happen. He'll let the three or four senior pros run the locker room. But if he needs to get involved, he will. And one of these things that Bresciano was saying to me is when they're at the World Cup, I didn't hear from Ange much pregame speeches, one or two sentences, until they got to the game against Holland. And then Ange just comes in and just out of the blue, you think he's going to say one or two things. The next thing you know, it's like that video we saw of the Socceroos thing that was floating around social media earlier in the year. And he just comes in and he just says stuff. And as Bresh said to me, he goes, you just get flutters in your stomach and you just, want to run through a wall for the guy because he doesn't do it often. So he doesn't over overstep the mark. So yeah, it's um just hearing that sort of insight from a guy who's played in the top, played at Serie A for years, played in, you know, world cups and everything. And he's saying that that sort of thing happens under Ange. It's just makes me know that we've got one world-class manager at the yeah. club. Nah, without a doubt. You just know he's got it. He's, he's absolutely got it. There's so many pretenders in this game, uh, but he's absolutely got it. And he's not trying to be anybody else. I know that, you know, there's, there's going to be influences there. Um, you know, Puskas, for example, it was a massive influence on his philosophy uh, to life and football, but he's his own man. Now, yesterday, JP and I, we go on tangents, generally on a musical kind of tangent here and there. And I never got round to wishing two, um, one XL and one current cell happy birthdays on the same day. Yesterday, Jota turned 24 years young and Stuart Armstrong turned 31. But the real question, Lloyd, is who's got the best hair? Jota. Jota? Yeah, Jota. Apart from... The shaved-in bits at the side I don't particularly like, but nah. Jota rocks that kind of George Michael look, so I'd go Jota. And did you get an opportunity on Saturday night to meet James McKenzie, who is on the Tuesday bulletin? Did you meet young James? I did meet young James, yes. I did compliment him on his... His Jota cut. Yeah. (laughs) Superb. Listen, I've been taking stick for at least three years on a Celtic State of Mind for my Barnet, so when you get an opportunity, you've got to take it. Um, Jared, Jota and Armstrong, I mean, Jota turning 24 years of age, you look at, uh, obviously, his... Uh, for me, when you look at his tangent and, and the way that, that he's been able to come in, adapt very quickly to the Scottish game, entertain. I mean, that was a big part of certainly last season, the entertainment value of Jota. But this season, I think, as well as you know the couple of examples that we've spoken about where he's rolled the sleeves up and got stuck in to try and get us a goal, get back in the game, etc. I think we have seen a, a real progression in the way that Jota plays. I think that he's far more productive this campaign. I don't know if the stats back that up. That's the eye test on, uh, from me. And, um, you know, for me, when you look at the wingers at this moment in time, Jota's the first pick for me on the wing. What's your thoughts, Jared? 100%. He's probably first guy that we have on the wing, guaranteed. And you can you can pretty much tell that because if Ange starts a barter, usually it's uh, Maeda who drops out and Jota goes back to the left. If... You know, if Maeda's going to start, Jota's on the right. So he's the ever-present there. So for me, yeah, he's the best of the lot. Now, I'm going to say there's nothing wrong with a mullet hairdo. They are, they are very majestic sort of hairdo down here in Australia. We love them. So um, 
people not having a crack at his hair, just do the comparison to Ange. You know, he used to play back at South Melbourne in the day. That's what he's pulling off of the hair. But yeah, Jota definitely our best winger. That that was a superb um, installation of hair. I mean, listen. By the way, I'm not. It's not a stereotypical thing. But back in the day, this is probably before Lloyd's time. I was a, an avid uh, viewer of Home and Away and Neighbours, and there were some brilliant mullets back in those days, you know. Uh, Henry Ramsey and, and Jason Donovan. Uh, what was him, his name? Scott Robinson, it was, eh? I mean, some of the mullets were tremendous, Jared. So are they still rocking it over there, are they? The mullets? Made, made a comeback. Oh, superb, man. I mean, all the, GP... all the ones you guys call the wee Neds over there, the, those guys, they're called Eshays over here, and they've got their bum bags, and they've got mullets going and everything, and it's all happening. Brilliant. JP and I were talking about this tendency for some of the, the hip uh, brigade to be wearing uh, tasseled slip-ons. Are they um, over there yet? Are you still to suffer them, tasseled slip-ons? No. <laughs> You'll be glad. You'll be glad that they haven't actually uh, made it over and hopefully they never will. Um, this weekend sees Celtic B playing Rangers B. Uh, it's getting played at Ibrox. We've obviously won uh, the two previous encounters this season and uh, we're up against them it's in the Lowland League, uh, they're two points ahead of us, we could beat them a third time this season and leapfrog them it's a massive match obviously but it brings up the, the discussion I guess around the future of Celtic B how we develop players, how can we bridge that gap between the B team and the first team because it's not really being bridged at this moment in time I understand why we um, actually asked and put the proposal forward for us to get into the Lowland League because we had to try and sell it to other clubs, etc. But there is a new proposal, and this is going to be a conference league sitting just under the fourth tier, but with a view to having promotion so it can get them right into that pyramid, not just sitting stagnant in one division. What's your thoughts on the future of the B team and how that's going to obviously improve the A team and the chances of the youngsters coming through? I think that would be a great thing if they could manage to kind of reform that league and that with the proposal that's been put out because yeah they're in the Lowland League now but they can't get promotion they can't and I understand other teams kicking up back a little bit on that one but we want to look what's best for our youth team and obviously we want to see youth I mean I know we'll go back to Saturday night and Peter Grant talking about the youth players coming through at Celtic and how they always just come through he came through himself with Paul McStay and such others, and it was always in the kind of history. But now you're kind of seeing that. I mean, I know Rocco Vat is in the team, and Law is in the team, but apart from the two, is anyone else really coming up now? So you've got that to look at as well. Without a doubt, I mean, Peter Grant made his debut 18, uh, Derek White 17, Paul McStay 17. A wee bit before them, you know, you had uh, Roy Aiken making his debut at 16. Now, I know we have had a few youngsters coming through, but not with the regularity that you need to, Jared, to say that that academy is working. And a big part of that is we are developing youth talent. There is no doubt about it. you just got to look at the amount of players who have flown the nest from Lennox Town. We are developing players. The big issue here is the fact that there's nowhere for them to go. You know, they're hitting brick wall, they're playing in the fifth tier. And I always ask the question, it's no disrespect to any other team in that division. Would you take a player from the Lowland League and put them in your first team? The answer is no. Obviously, you, you, there's no way you would do that. So the, the the leap is far too big for the youngsters coming through. The proposal is... Uh, obviously going to upset quite a lot of the sides who just think it's all about Celtic or it's all about um, the top two teams and all this kind of thing, Jared. But we've got to look after our own interests here. We're, we are investing a huge amount every year in youth development. And at this moment in time, we're not getting the benefit of them. All these other clubs who are coming along, I mean, the latest example of that, Aidan Borland, um, 15, they're getting younger, 15 years of age, he's away to Aston Villa. You know, we've already lost Ben Doak and many, many others. I mean, there's potentially going to be a whole team of players in four or five years who started at Celtic and they've ended up going down south or to Bayern Munich. Do you think the Conference League is another step towards us resolving that issue, Jared? Something's got to be better than what we've currently got. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Like, as you're saying, Paul, the amount of players that have come through and we're creating the players, as everyone can see, it's, you know, Blind Freddy can tell that because of how many players are going here, there and everywhere. The issue is the step, as we're talking about, 
between once you make professional terms to breaking into our squad at age 16 through to age, you know, 19. What's going on with the development there? Playing in the Lowland League isn't it. But then also doing the same thing that we've done with Mikey Johnson and Karamoko, where you sign these guys, you keep them around, you don't put them out on loan, and they don't break into the team, but there's no games for them, so how can they develop? It's kind of, what are you supposed to do here? For me, it's like, we need to win every week. That's We're chasing the 10, we needed to win. The way it is now, we want to win to get in the Champions League. So as a fan, fan base, we demand success week in, week out. So what manager is really going to put those guys in and progress them into the team if their job's on the line? Mm-hmm. So you just look at it and go, John Barnes situation, you're three bad results away from being out the door at Celtic. Um, the talk was Ange in his first six games, we lost three, and the talk was he was going to get the boot. So that shows how cutthroat it is. So I can understand why the managers don't want to do it, but at the same time, there's got to be a better way. Lowland League isn't it. So do we do what uh, Brentford's done? Can their reserves just have like a, a B team that they play friendlies against other Premier League teams or whatever and travel around Europe? Do we do that to make sure they're playing 30-something games a season against better quality players? Might be an option. Is this conference going to be a thing? Well, it's got to be better than it is now, but is it still going to close that gap that we need for guys to be able to play in there and come straight in? I don't know. So it's a bit of a doozy, to be honest with you. Yeah, and and again, it's almost like a, a trial and error. It seems like a trial. I don't think the plan was right. We'll put them in the lowland and then we'll make another proposal. They've obviously done that and realised it's not working. Um, and then they're trying to set something new up. It's going to be interesting. Now, uh, please forgive me, Jared. I didn't bring up your logo on, on the screen, but tell us a little bit more about Celtic Down Under and how you're growing the channel and the platform. Yeah, so... Um... Been around since 2019 as a podcast. Uh, that's just going from strength to strength, and we're seeing that's really just going nicely. So we're happy with that. Um, the had the YouTube channel where we just put the audio files up as on YouTube. But last year we've launched into doing the live streams, and we've gone now. We have got three shows every week. Monday is like a weekend review. Tuesday is just what we call our Tuesday crew, which is focusing on a few topics and then doing some history stuff on the club because, you know, they were saying if you know your history and then we've got our usual Wednesday podcast, which is talking about news topics, previewing the game on the weekend. So we've grown it out to three now and, yeah, things are churning nicely and growing upwards. So, uh, yeah, happy days. You can find us on YouTube. Look for Celtic Down Under, the logo in the top corner. Um, And, yeah, subscribe and we'll see you in the comments. Subscribe and buy some merch. Support the channel. Um, Darbin Kilche on the YouTube. Win this early and wrap up our big players for the war against Rangers. So the war. We're going to come back to that, Darbin Kilche, because there, you know, there has been some scenes like a war zone. I broke certainly in some games recently. So we're going to be talking about how that has also developed uh, even into the women's game. There's been a lot of chat around that. Celtic follower, welcome back. Uh, drinking at your Celtic mug, you might have noticed that the gift I was given on Saturday night made its debut today. Look at that beautiful Celtic mug there with the gold crest. That was from an nice. Axom. Brilliant. An Axom viewer handed it to me. He, he doesn't comment because he doesn't want, obviously, to get any kind of exposure, but he, he gave me the mug, right, and four bits of tablet. Brilliant. Obviously knows I've got a sweet tooth. Celtic follower. Definitely we'll need to wrap up Kyogo and see it as early as possible on Sunday. There's a lot of people saying that. And I think obviously we'll use the substitutes as we always do very well. Paul McLean, same three points for a win against Ross County, strongest team. Yes. And uh, then we move on to another big game. Robert O'Neill, thank you, Axon, for the advice yesterday. Robert was looking for a couple of tickets um, to the Motherwell game and it looks as though he could have them via Celtic Spares on Twitter. There are Celtic fans out there who will always try and help you, so that's great. Danielle, as we went live, we were not aware of any injury updates, so if anybody hears them whilst we're on until half past one, let us know. There's been plenty of players mentioned in relation to injuries that they've picked up either before the international break or on international duty, and hopefully as many of those players are back um, for the big game on Sunday now. 
we have spoken a fair bit about this. Obviously, there was an assault on a member of Celtic staff. It was Fran Alonso. He got a headbutt to the back of the head. Um, after his women's team drew one each with Rangers, Lloyd, everybody's had their say on it, but you guys, certainly on Axom, have not had a chance to speak about it. Now, Lawrence and I dug a bit deeper and said it's not a one-off isolated incident. It's an, it's a, you know, a chain of events. It's a pattern of behaviour. It's something that so far has not actually been thwarted. It's not been challenged. And it's about time the authorities sort, sort this out. It's almost as if there is one rule for one club and one rule for everybody else. We gave all the examples. We're talking broken glass and goal mouse. We're talking bottles to the back of the head, batteries being thrown, players being attacked, and now management being attacked. It's not safe enough for us to take tickets at Ibrox, Lloyd. What should be done about this? And do you have any confidence that the action will be taken? No. No, I generally don't. I know, obviously, regarding the broken bottle getting thrown, um at one of the physios that the culprit was jailed for 12 months for that. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. But Fran Alonso on Monday night was doing his job. Mm-hmm. He's walking away, trying to congratulate the players on a good game, and someone cowardly comes up to the back of him and sticks a head into the back of him. I, the women's game was on Sky Sports that night. Obviously, I, I was working that night, so I couldn't watch it, but I seen the group chat light up and I'm like, what has went on? And when you watch it back, it, it's cowardly mm-hmm. what you done. And the fact that his club or anyone else hasn't come out with a statement or said anything, it's quite shocking. Well, I would say it's shocking, but it's not really. And that just tells you the culture in this country regarding these type of things. Right. You're right, because you asked the question, let's let's widen it even more. Why was Neil Lennon attacked at Tynecastle? Why was he attacked at Tynecastle? Why was Scott Brown attacked on the park? Um, why was that bottle thrown at a Celtic physio? Why was Fran Alonso attacked Jared and as Lloyd says there is a cultural issue that has been ongoing for generations um, yes there are uh, you know police authorities who are able to step in if, if it uh, goes into the criminality uh, arena which has happened obviously with the, the bottle uh, off the physio's head but it is something the authorities need to sort out. I mean, we dug right in about things like riots after cup finals. Jared, we spoke about the sponsorship deal with Cinch. At every turn, there's one club causing issues and they are like an unruly child that nobody um, is willing to, to tell off and actually get them to behave and toe the line like everybody else, Jared. Yeah, but for me, like I'm not, I don't expect any different out of that mob. Like, Let's let's roll it back a little further. The history of that that club and their fan base, and you know, going what they did in Manchester, what they've done, pretty much everywhere they've been. Then you look at what's happened in George Square as well when they won won the league a few years ago. It's the same fan base. It's not just the people in the crowds, but it's those people in Manchester would have had kids and passed on their thought process and how it should be to that mob who will then pass it on to the next generation. So it's not just, as Ange talks about us as a support and that it's like, you know, it's generational. Them acting like absolute idiots is generational. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, you get a bunch of idiots in a crowd and one or two start going rah, rah and just going off. Next thing you know, all of them, do the pile on. It's like, I don't expect any better from them because that's what they are. It's generational idiot. Look, this is being a bunch of idiots. So what do you do? This is, this is the big question. And, and the issue that we've had and what we've been discussing is the safety of players, fans, staff. It's under threat to the point where there will not be a single member of the Celtic support at Ibrox for the final Derby game. Um, and then there's an, another concern. Well, how can you guarantee the safety of 
the Celtic officials and the players who are actually at that game. So, yeah, it's something that's going to rumble on. I'm going to find it very interesting to see how the next two games against Rangers um, pan out in terms of not just on the park, but off the park. And uh, we will be watching very, very carefully uh, around that. I'm just trying to find it. Here we go. Same old discussion, no pathway, etc. The academy is a waste of time. What seems to be happening is Celtic... it's a real legacy issue. Celtic are in a position now where we are able to um, attract young talent to Celtic. We can progress their careers. We can develop them as players. We can walk them into this culture that Granty was talking about last week, Lloyd, whereby the time you're ready to play for a first team, you know what it is to represent Celtic Football Club, uh, both on and off the park. All of this kind of stuff, I think we do well. But the legacy issue is once they get to 15, 16-year-old, as Borland and Doak and all the other players um, have proven, we are in a really tricky position because you've got big clubs down south who, due to various issues, uh, notwithstanding some of the Brexit issues of plucking players from all over the uh, the continent, they are now looking at the Scottish market and thinking we're going to bring these players down, give them a scholarship. And it's very difficult for Celtic to compete um, at that stage, you know, so you've got the pathway issue, but now we're in this rut where they're getting bigger promises from clubs who are willing eventually to pay bigger wages down south. So whether or not we see a massive change in that, I don't know. Will we look elsewhere as Jared um, suggested and do something similar to what Brentford's done? I'd be very sad about that because as a traditionalist, I love Celtic reading our own players. However, you can still bring in talent just that maybe a wee bit later on in their development. Now, here we go. You know you've made it, Jared, when someone in the comment section gives you a nickname and yours appears to be Jazza. And he, uh, Stevie Boy, Stevie Boy loves that flag behind you, Jazza. Can you buy that, by the way? Because I've seen you also wearing your merch with a logo on it. Um, is that purchasable? Have you got an online store? Yeah, the flags are available. Just um, they're, they're not working on the store because for some reason the website's down at the moment. So... Uh, yeah, if you want to buy one of the flags, you can just send us an email at admin at celticdownunder.com and I'll um, reply back and sort it out. I've got about 40 of them in stock at the moment, just down in a box under my desk right here. So if you want one, send us an email and we will uh, get in touch with you. Nice one. We'd really need to get one for the studio mm-hmm. as well. Quiet Paul, lunch break plus acts on Happy Fridays. We had somebody yesterday who was listening live whilst on the run. So I don't know how they were. They couldn't have been running very quick if they were actually messaging us on the comments section. Incidentally, I read a a report this morning in relation to the Celtic Trust. We have had members of the Celtic Trust on Axon quite a few times, actually. Um, And we had them on when we were speaking about uh, shares and being able to reclaim their shares. And, uh, you know, a lot of of, um, shareholders had disengaged with their shareholding because they'd moved house or, you know, people had passed on, etc. And they were talking um, earlier on, Today I was reading that they were talking about fan ownership, you know, building up the fact they've got thousands um, members at the moment who pay about five or a month and they're building up funds and buying more and more shares. And one thing that really stood out for me was they were talking about the possibility in the future of a hostile takeover, Lloyd. And it's at that point, because obviously the club has run really well at the moment, um, we're not the Celtic Trust are not looking to um, have ownership of the club because they don't think it's getting managed properly. There seems to be a fear of a hostile takeover at some point in the future. And if the shareholding is large enough, then uh, the Trust hope to have a say in the ownership of the club in the future. We've had Dermot Desmond coming out saying, you know, the, the club is going to stay under his ownership, but not ownership as such. He's a major shareholder and that will pass on to his son. Um, but it is a, a wee niggling issue in the back of your mind because we've seen so many clubs down south where there has been hostile takeovers and you ask yourself, what about the identity of the football club? Where does that go? Um, so I found it quite an interesting one. Do you think it'll ever happen, fan ownership of Celtic Football Club? I would like to see it happen rather than some state or something like that come in and take over the club because, as you said, Paul, it's, you do lose your soul a bit when these kind of foreign owners and that come in take over. They search and search and try to think what fans want and they end up just trying to play football manager, basically, and it just doesn't work out. Because you look at the Chelsea example and they're just buying players for fun. They've not got a system or anything to go by and they're just... Green Potter will probably get sacked one point and 
there'll be another super duper manager that comes in and the cycle will just keep continuing that way. And I don't ever want to really see that at Celtic. No, I mean Jim Warren has obviously Jim has an accounting accountancy background and he looks at the pennies and the pounds and all this kind of stuff and he has spoken time and time again about when you look at the traditions of the club, the fact the very fabric of the club, uh, Jared, and the fact that he would not be comfortable if we start paying players a hundred, two hundred grand a week, what happens, you know, we spoke so many times uh, over the years on Axom about, you know, the club moving from Scotland, potentially playing its football elsewhere. There's been talk of Super Leagues, there's been talk of most English football, all that has been discussed. But what's the reality of it? Do we lose our soul if that happens, Jared? Oh, depends on the move, but yeah, um, I'm a traditionalist, like you said earlier on for yourself, Paul, like the talk of the European Super League, we're talking about that on our pod on Wednesday. And for me, the gold star above our logo means a lot to me because that's the way I look at it. We earned that. Not a lot of clubs have got that. So I like the traditions of the Champions League. I like that we're playing in Scotland. The Atlantic League sounded good on paper back in the day, but it's not going to happen. The Talk about moves down to England. Mm, not a massive fan on that, but I don't know. I'd rather keep things how it is. I just wish that we all talk about, oh, yeah, like the top two teams in Scotland and they're so much richer than everyone else in the league. Well, those other teams in the league need to lift their levels and somehow raise their game, mm-hmm. fix their recruitment, come up up the level. Like I'm, I'm over here where we have a salary cap league, so it's kind of hard because you wouldn't want a salary cap because in Scotland. That would, that would potentially work, but then – it's a restraint of trade. So you hear people talking about that as well. I don't know. There's no perfect example, but I'm a traditionalist at heart. Been following Celtic me life, pretty much my whole life. So, yeah, don't know. I, I think you're right, though, when you talk about other clubs, you know, taking ownership of the fact that um, – the Celtic were not entitled to identify a player like Matt O'Reilly and uh, put a deal together that brings them to the football club. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying every club in our division could do that. There are certain clubs like Ross County who are going to be facing on Sunday who are what would be described as provincial, and I don't think that's a put-down. They're a provincial football club. You look at their fan base, you look at the investment that they've got. That, you know, survival every season on season is what they want. They want to stay in the league. Uh, they finished sixth last season, and Malcolm McKay said at the beginning of this com- campaign, we just need to stay in the division. That's fine. I don't expect Ross County to find a Matt O'Reilly or um have enough knowledge of the Japanese market to bring in players, you know, under £2 million, etc. I don't expect that. But what's stopping a, a team like Aberdeen, Hibs or Hearts from doing it? Now, people might say they would never spend a million quid on a player. Well, they have. I don't know if Hibs have, but they have in the past, you know, Hearts and Aberdeen. Or they've bought three or four players who are, have turned out to be absolute duds, who if you were to combine the, the amount of money that they've spent, then they could have gone out and got a couple of proper class players. They've sold. You look at what, what Hibs have sold and recouped. Hearts have done the same over the years, as have Aberdeen. How well has that been reinvested? Um, Ange talks about an aspirational mindset of other clubs. Let's know more about what Celtic are up to and how successful we are. Go out and create your own success. And I love that. And I don't know who the forward-thinking clubs are in Scottish football. I look at Aberdeen, for example, and I look at Hibs and the turnover of players and staff and management, which suggests that everything they're doing is short term. You know, they don't really have a vision, um, certainly on the park. So, yeah, I totally get that, Jared. And, and you know, it is a Celtic state of mind. We are quite selfish. We want what's best for Celtic. We can't worry about all the other teams in the league, can we? But you also want to make sure that we're playing on a platform that allows us to develop and progress as a football club. Um, and that's why this conversation keeps coming back up. It's been an absolute delight with the new forward line of uh, Dykes, Jepson and Hill. Um, hopefully we'll get a few goals on Sunday. We'll be covering the game as we always do. Um, and as Jared said earlier on, check out Celtic Down Under. You'll find them on the socials. You'll find them on YouTube. If you haven't done so already, if you want to comment on any of our streams, then subscribe to our channel. We do give away prizes as this is the 31st of March. We'll be giving away another one probably by the end of the day, maybe a wee bit later uh, if I have to do it once I get home. But I do have the uh, concept jersey, which is 
Australian inspired. It does have the yellow and green colourway. Big shamrock on it. Vintage retro Adidas jersey. We'll be giving that away. Uh, thanks everybody for your support. If you want to come and see us live, Alan Thompson is heading towards a sellout. He is up on the wall behind us there. Ticket links underneath. You'll have a great night at Gracie's Lloyd. Yep, you will indeed. You absolutely will. Um, you've you've heard it here from Lloyd Patrick Jepson. You'll have a great night. Um, and we do have May's guest confirmed, and I will announce that very, very soon. Thank you, every single one of you, for getting involved. And remember um, about the missing person, Evan, earlier on, um, and we will bring that up again, just in case anyone has any information whatsoever in relation to uh, Evan's whereabouts or movements just before he went missing back on the 25th of March. Please get in touch. Thank you all for getting involved. And we'll see you again on Sunday on a Celtic State of Mind. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.